Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. of things that you can buy at the Chicago Reader store at chicagoreader.com. Things to wear like Chicago Reader hats, t-shirts, bandanas, and face masks. Things for your daily life like the Chicago Reader camping mug, Chicago Reader tote bags, and a Chicago Reader reporter's notebook. Things for you to read like our Reader recipes, the Chicago Reader 420 Companion, our Chicago Reader Best of book series from journalists Maya Dukmasaba, Mike Sula, Ben Jarofsky, and Lior Galil, the Chicago Reader coloring book, and the Chicago Reader stay home puzzle. Find the Chicago Reader store at chicagoreader.com and show your support for the nation's first free weekly news newspaper since 1971. Bonus time on the Ben Jarowski Show as I speak. It's Tuesday, September 13th, 2022. You can be listening to this anytime, so I'll just tell you what's in the headlines from a newspaper here in the city of Chicago, Chicago Sun-Times. Here's the headline. Chicago jazz great dies at 87. I'm talking about Ramsey Lewis, ladies and gentlemen. Let's take a moment just to reflect on the great career of Ramsey Lewis. Personally, I was touched by Ramsey Lewis. Uh, I never actually met him in person. I saw him at concert many times. The first time I saw Ramsey Lewis in concert, ladies and gentlemen, I was a senior in high school. It was prom night. Didn't go to the prom. We could talk about that. That's a whole other story. A group of friends. We, what do we do? We went to the London House, downtown Chicago. We saw Ramsey Lewis. The year was 1973, ladies and gentlemen. I'm getting teary-eyed just thinking about it because uh, Maurice White was on drums, who later went and joined, created Earth, Wind, and Fire, one of the great uh, geniuses of 70s music, which is my favorite music. Uh, Sun Goddess came out about a year ago. I just, every phase of my life, it seems like Ramsey Lewis has been present. And my wife and I, my dear friend uh, Cap, saw him at Millennium Park in 2018, his last concert, I believe. Uh, and that was a beautiful, beautiful night in downtown Chicago. He does, uh, folks, if you're not listening to any Ramsey Lewis song, Bet You By Golly Wow by Ramsey Lewis, in my humble opinion, is the best version of that song. And I know a lot of greats have done it. Grant Green has done it. Prince has done it. But I just love the way Ramsey Lewis did it that night. It was so special. So a shout out, a tip of the hat, and I'm always wearing a hat to the great Ramsey Lewis. That happens to be the headline. That's what's going on in the city of Chicago as I begin this interview. All right, without further ado, I would, uh, I would like to, uh, as I always do, ask my distinguished guest to introduce himself. So distinguished guest, introduce yourself. Hey, Ben, how are you doing? I am Kenny Leon. I am a Broadway stage director and television film director and uh, an American artist and more than that, I'm a new friend of Big Ben J. 
Yes, indeed. So let's let me just do the back uh, story. I'll give you my perspective, and then I'll ask uh, Kenny to weigh in with his. Kenny Leon is a big time director, uh, and I knew about him before he knew about me. Uh, and he directed a play called King James, which everybody who listens to my pad- podcast knows I love because I've been talking. I talked obsessively about it. I saw it here in Chicago when it was at the Steppenwolf, and then I saw that it was going to L.A. My kids, as you all know, listeners, have grown up and moved to L.A., and I called them up. I go, I'm buying everyone tickets to see this show. I am flying into Los Angeles to see this show. You have to see this show. They go, okay, okay, Dad. So I bought the tickets. I flew into L.A., and I'm standing outside. Uh, the the door, they, they hadn't let us in. We were just standing outside, and there's this gentleman standing next to me, and we start chit-chatting. I'm going, yeah, I flew all the way from Chicago to see this play. How did you know about it? And he goes, well, I'm Kenny Leon. <laughs> I'm the director. I'm, ladies and gentlemen, I almost fell out. Like, the Kenny Leon? And so one thing led to another. You agreed uh, to, to do my humble little podcast. Thank you very much. So, Kenny, what were you thinking when you met me? I just thought this is an incredible man with uh, three beautiful women. This is great family. I overheard them talking about going to the play. And then when you started talking to me about seeing the play in Chicago at the great Steppenwolf Theater, and I was like, whoa, this is a a real fan Uh, came from Chicago, which I loved. Uh, I love that theater scene there. And now he's in L.A. and he's turning his family on to this to this to this play and then the more we talked about it the more we talked uh, you know i'm a 35 year laker fan you know we started talking about sports we started talking about the bulls started talking about basketball and realized we had a lot in common i said hey man i'm gonna do your podcast and uh so here we are we're doing it you know i'm here in new york city and you're in chicago so it's yeah. great yeah, that's that, that is assessment is correct. And I reached out and uh, Kenny is a very busy guy. We're going to talk about some of his current projects uh, that's that he has going on in Broadway. I may have to fly out to New York to see these plays. I'll be flying around chasing Kenny Leon plays. Where's he? He's in Alaska. Let's get that cargo plane out there. But but the beautiful thing, though, is, you know, like um, we did um, we premiered to play a uh, Rajiv Joseph's uh, King James is really uh, it's sort of about basketball. It's sort of about LeBron James. It's sort of about Michael Jordan. It's sort of about friendship. Uh, at the end of the day, it's just a play about friendship that used basketball as a metaphor. But we had a successful run in Los Angeles, and now the show is coming into New York. And um, in April, we start rehearsal for the production in New York with the same cast. It's not going to be on Broadway. It's going to be off Broadway at Manhattan Theater Club, but with the same cast and uh, we're so looking forward to it, and I think it's going to just, you know, just do the same thing in New York that it did in Chicago and L.A., so I'm excited about that play. Wow, I, I did not know that's breaking news on the Ben Jarowski show. Uh, Glenn Davis uh, was in the show, and I actually met him, too, because I was hanging around with Kenny Leon after the show, and he walked up and he introduced us, so I, I definitely well, may have to fly in. Glenn, Glenn is going to perform in it, Chris Perfetti from uh, Abbott Elementary. He's going to be in it. We're going to have the same cast, and um, I'm looking forward to it. But it would not be here if we if we didn't do the tough work in Chicago. That was the premiere. That was when we figured things out, and that's what that's what's so wonderful about Chicago. You can just you, they still believe in new work. They still believe in potential and possibility. And because of that, now that play gets to be seen all around the world. So 
Thank you, Chicago. Uh, yeah. And uh, so, Kenny, in your opinion, uh, having directed it, having now you're working, you'll soon be working your third production of it. What is it about this show uh, that has so much to say? Because, again, ladies and gentlemen, LeBron James is not in the show. So there's no celebrity in this show. So it's not, and it's not a, a bio of LeBron James, but he's a sort of the central figure in the back uh, of the, of, of everybody's mind. What do you think it is about this show that uh, speaks to people so much? I think it's a great play. I mean, it does parallels um, LeBron James's relationship to community uh, uh, superstars to our community. We love our stars and when they leave, we hate them. And so it explores that relationship, that dynamics. And at the same time, it explores, uh, uh, friendship. You know, what happens when I, when a friend doesn't call you for a week or a friend moves away or a friend marries a woman that doesn't like you, you know, and the play is divided into four quarters. And uh, it's like life. A lot of friendships, a lot of relationships don't get to the fourth quarter, either because we lose our friends, but more importantly, because we grow in different ways. And in this play, these friends, they do that extra thing to get them in the fourth quarter, you know, and it's something called forgiveness and it's something called not judging your friend's life and action. You know, friendship has ups and downs. And these these guys, they rode those ups and downs. So it's a beautiful play about the responsibility of friendship. And that's, that's, you know, that's, that explores women friendship, men friendship. Um, but it's a great play about just the beauty of humanity and, and, and friendship. So that's what the play is about. It's also very successful because there's only two characters in it, but it feels like there are 50 characters in it because of all the off, offstage characters that they talk about. And it's also very funny. And the first act is 45 minutes and the second act is 45 minutes. So it's very short and there's an intermission in between. So you can you can embrace your old friends at intermission. So it's a perfect post-COVID, uh, post-COVID play. Yeah. And there's a DJ in the play. This, uh, a DJ. Yeah, that's right. I forgot about that. Yes. Yeah. Is the DJ scripted or did you add that uh, as well, what, what Rajiv wrote in the play was that there should be some element of of what happens in an arena. So in his mind, there was like, you know, those people that shoots off shirts or throws basketball or somebody shoots a, a, a half court shot. And I came up with the idea of like, wow, let me have like a DJ. It's, it's, it's sort of entertaining too. And that way it doesn't get in the way. It's not extra. So when you walk into the theater, you know, you actually hear my playlist. And I think uh, for me, the beauty in the world is, having music from every generation. So we have music from the 50s, from the 60s to the 70s to present day. So, and I think that's how we remain relevant to each other. You know, we open up with um, uh, Marvin Gaye singing the Star Spangled Banner from 1983. And some people think, who is that? It's Marvin Gaye, it's 1983. So it's, it's great for those of us who were around then. And it's also great for people who've never heard him sing uh, the, the national anthem, which I think is the best rendition I've ever heard. I know Whitney Houston had a great one, um, uh, but Marvin Gaye singing this in the basketball arena in LA was just was just beautiful and soulful. And almost every night, the audiences applaud or they stand to that or they take off their hat. Um, so it, it's great. It's a it's a beautiful musical soundtrack throughout the whole play, throughout the play, through the transitions. 
through intermission and at the end of the play. And at the end of the play, we end with um, what's this gospel? It's a gospel uh, a tune called Stump, uh, which is great, you know. And the great thing about Stump was like some people thought it was uh, a religious song and some people thought it was a uh, a secular song, a club song. So people fight over, is that a club song or a church song? And I love having that in the theater, seeing the audience hang around and dance at the end, you know, not knowing if it's a church song or a club song. Yeah. And I saw Kenny uh, dancing in LA, ladies and gentlemen. He was one of the people dancing. I saw it with my own eyes. Yeah, that's a Kirk Franklin song. Kirk yes. Franklin. Yeah. Uh, and the DJ is excellent. Very charismatic. I don't know if you're going to have the same person be yes, the DJ. The, same. the DJ is going to. Chloe. Chloe, she's she's great. You know, she has that uh, that energy that engages the audience from the time you walk into the. You're gonna have a good time. So I I have, I encourage you to come to New York in April and May and June and July, and see King James because it's great. I remember my my, my talk to my mom and when I was in Chicago, and she says, "So baby, what are you doing now?" I said, "Well, I'm in I'm in Chicago at Steppenwolf Theater, this great theater, and I'm doing this play called King James," and she said. King James. Yeah. Can you guess what it's about, mom? She said, is it about the Bible? I said, no, but that's close because it is. It's like it could be biblical. Uh, there are many uh, 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 spiritual connections in there. So it could be biblical, uh, how we relate to each other. And then it could be Shakespearean, King James. It sounds like a great Shakespearean play. Or it could be about this, uh, the, the symbolic meaning of King James and a long career in the NBA. So it's all of that. So, Ken, Kenny, I have to ask you this. I'm thinking about you're talking about King James. This is a play, ladies and gentlemen, that he staged in Chicago last year in L.A. He's going to do it in New York. But meanwhile, meanwhile, okay, he flew off. I said, come to do the show. He goes, well, I can't do the show right now because I'll be, I think you were in San Antonio, correct me if I'm wrong, doing some kind of TV show. I went to New Orleans to direct a, a, a show called Sacrifice. A, a TV thing with uh, Paula Patton and uh, Richard Roundtree. It was great. Richard Roundtree? I didn't know Richard Roundtree. The Richard Roundtree? Yes, Shaft. Shaft. Yeah. <laughs> I oh, call him the king. The king. Yeah, and so, uh, and then you went to New York. You're in New York now doing two different productions. I only was aware of one until today when I realized that you were also doing. So I need to know, Kenny, Leon, how that, you kind of like find a space in your mind to compartmentalize all this stuff, Richard Roundtree's uh, TV show, uh, King James, LeBron James, a study of friendship, Audrey McDow McDaniel, uh, a, a credible play that's making its Broadway debut about time. And then I didn't even know about top dog underdog. I mean, how do you find the space in your brain to sift and sort? Uh, and then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, this guy, that random guy that you met outside uh, the Taper Theater is calling you up to do a podcast. <laughs> so how does it work in that brain? I've been brain? a storyteller for a long time, and I really appreciate all the fans across the country. You know, I probably played every major theater company in the country, and I've done like 14 or 15 Broadway shows. So I, number one, I love people. I love um, our impact on each other. Uh, you know, none of us are going to get out of here alive. So it's, it's about how we treat each other and how we learn from each other, how we love each other, how we grow from each other while we're on the planet. So, and, and I think theater is that, you know, it's theater and, and film. It's about the stories we tell. So next to life, our stories we tell is the next best thing to it. So I get tremendous joy out of it. And yeah, I'm in rehearsal now for 
their 20-year anniversary of Top Dog, Underdog for Broadway. It won a, the Pulitzer Prize 20 years ago. And so I'm doing this production on Broadway with the great Yaya Mateen and Corey Hawkins. Corey Hawkins was in Macbeth with Denzel Washington, and, and uh, Yaya was on The Watchmen um, um, on, uh, I think it was Netflix. But uh, um, it's just like, it's a great, it's a great place. So I don't ever take on projects that I don't love. I usually take on projects that has something to do with us seeing the beauty in all of us across all our, across all of our stupidity, across race, across age, across countries, you know, so I try to bring people together through storytelling. So King James is that King James is a white guy and a black guy who are great friends, you know, uh, 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 top dog underdog is about the humanity, uh, in us. And when we don't have love in our community, what happens to us? So to do this play on Broadway after two and a half years of COVID is the perfect play to do. It's really funny and uh, and it's profound. And then I do uh, Ohio State Murders at the new James Earl Jones Theater that they named after the great James Earl Jones, who's a wonderful human being and a great artist. But to do that play, Adrian Kennedy is 91 years old. She won the Gold Award from the Academy last year. Uh, she's never had a play on Broadway. And we get to do that in that theater with Arthur McDonald, who has won more Tony Awards than almost anybody. She has six Tony Awards. And of course, I got one Tony Award. So, you know, the, directed by this Tony Award winner. So I'm, I'm looking for, uh, those shows are back to back in the fall. So if you come to New York in the fall, you can see both of those shows. If you come in the spring, you can see uh, King James off Broadway. And I'm doing a new production of Hamlet in Shakespeare in the Park. And I want to set that in the year right after COVID because I, I want to, and I want to focus on um, the young people in that because I think our young people really needed us in the last two or three years. And they really looked at their lives and the, and, and, and the, and the impact of that pandemic on their lives. So a lot of them were, was lost and needing our guidance and needing our, us to reconnect them to their own spirit, spirituality and their sense of belonging and connectedness to each other. So those, you know, that's kind of sort of part of my year. And I feel the rest in with, you know, speaking engagements or, and I have a book called Take You Wherever You Go, um, which is something I say daily, like, Ben, take you wherever you go. You know, and I think that's our greatest gift to each other. If we take ourselves, we we can be the best version of ourselves in the presence of others. So there you have it. Well, okay. So you never had a moment where you're directing Hamlet and all of a sudden you think you're doing King James. Uh, (laughs) No. (laughs) On a a very small scale. Hey, and guess what starts on October 18th? October 18th, MBA. <laughs> all right, we'll get MBA. to basketball. So, so ladies and gentlemen, this, this is all right. We'll be, I was going to ask you a, um, a Raisin in the Sun question because uh, yeah. you were talking about the madness in the Sandy Bear Times. And this is a Chicago based show. And Raisin in the Sun was written by a woman who grew up on the south side of Chicago, went to Englewood High School, and it's set in Chicago. I will yeah. get to that. Okay. I think you've yeah, directed. Love, I've done Raisin in the Sun on Broadway twice. Yes. So. That is correct. I did the first revival in 2004, and I did the uh, one in 2014 with Denzel Washington. And that's the one I saw. Now, uh, okay, so we'll get to uh, that. But I just have to get this basketball thing out of the way. So when I'm meeting this gentleman, I don't know who he is, and he tells me he's a Lakers fan. So, 
you have to understand, ladies and gentlemen, I'm a diehard Bulls fan. I've always been a Bulls fan. Never the Bulls had some bad years. I'm I'm like the guy in the play in uh, King James doesn't waver. The Cavaliers are they could be great with LeBron and bad without him. He's a Cavs fan. So immediately I said to Kenny Leon, who I didn't know was Kenny Leon at the time. It was just some guy outside the theater. Oh, you're one of those fair weather fans who just jumped aboard the Laker bandwagon, aren't you? And then he lays his own right back. No way. I was a Lakers fan my whole life. So is that true? Florida. I grew up in St. Petersburg, Florida. And during those days, we didn't have basketball teams. There was no Miami Heat, no Orlando Magic. We had three television stations. So you had to sit there and and, and the, the NBA was on tape delay on CBS. So it was like, oh, you look at CBS on Sunday, you got the Boston Celtics who were pedestrian and white, or you had the entertaining Lakers who was sort of uh, black and multiracial and entertaining. And so I was like, I want those guys. And I became a fan of their style of, of ball. And I just, I'm so loyal. So I become a Laker fan for at least 35 years. So yes, yes. Yes, I am a Laker fan, and yes, I'm a Laker fan now. When even everybody's down on 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 Russell having a horrible year, uh, I'm still a Laker fan. If we got Russ, we still gonna win the championship. If we don't have Russ, we still gonna win the championship. We will win the championship this season. Okay, I'm done. All right. Well, I will just tell you this. Uh, I kind of warming up to the Lakers this year. And I'll tell you why. They have two Chicagoans on their team. Anthony Davis is from uh, the south side of Chicago. Patrick Beverly, who the Lakers just picked up, who had this always with feuding with Russell Westbrook. Always. Now they're love and dove. Uh, peace, love and dove. They're together. I love you, my brother. This, that, and the other thing. Until one of them gets traded, then they'll be back to it. He's from the west side of Chicago. Went to, Mar- uh, to Marshall High School. I saw him play high school ball. I love Patrick Beverly to death because he's just an underdog. You talk about top dog, underdog. He's an underdog, Kenny Leon. And he also is not afraid to step in anybody's face. So I think when when AD gets, you know, lazy or whatever, he's not afraid to say, hey, come on, man, let's play. He's not afraid to say, come on, LeBron, let's play. I like it. I like cats like that. And so I'm I'm looking forward to this season. And I love our new coach. I love him. He's like he's an in-your-face type of coach. So we needed that. So We'll see what happens, but I love the NBA. You know, I love the Bulls, and I see uh, uh, Ball is like not coming back right away, and I, that that's that's I don't like that. I don't like uh, Lonzo Ball not being ready to go, but um, you know, I think the Bulls got an entertaining team as well. Yeah, no, uh, I'm really concerned about Lonzo Ball's need. All right, let's let's uh, let's get back to uh, the, the question I was framing in my mind before I went on that uh, tangent, and it has to do uh, with raising in the sun. Uh, and and you you expressed uh, your ambition uh, through theater, through the plays that you direct, uh, and the movies and shows that you direct, but mainly through the uh, plays that you direct, to try to find some commonality, to try to find some hope, to try to find something that will bind people together and separate and divide. Uh, at the heart of it, though, Raisin of the Sun, and feel free to disagree with me vehemently on this one, uh, has a very bleak statement to make about white people. And a very bleak statement to make about society that the youngers live in back in what is probably the late 50s uh, and the attitudes that are still very much prevalent. One degree or another, Kenny, you know this as well as I do. In the, if not at the back of people's brains, then for some people at the forefront of their brains. So when you direct a play like Raisin in the Sun, how can you find something hopeful and uplifting to say 
uh, about society uh, from that story? I'm not speaking to society. I'm talking to people. I'm talking to individuals. So for me, uh, when I read The Raising in the Sun, I said, what do I want the audience to leave the theater feeling? And I back everything else up from there. So it's like the last thing that happens in The Raising in the Sun is this family is moving to a new neighborhood. They don't know the problems in that neighborhood, but they're moving into their dream. They're moving into potential and possibility. And the last act is this mother who goes out the uh, the apartment for the last time and she forgets, oh, I left my plant. And she goes back to get a plant that hasn't had any sun because of the 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 the, the neighborhood they live in. The sun can't get in there. People are so packed on top of each other. And I was like, that play is about hope. Take that plant. Take that plant somewhere where it can get sun. So when people leave a raisin in the sun, I think it's very hopeful. It's only what you would imagine after that that's the problem. But that's not the story of a raisin in the sun. So raisin in the sun is not um, is not very it's not bleak to me. It has that one white character who represents that neighborhood. But also, it feels like a very human person. You know, I did the movie for ABC as well. And I had John Stamos play in that role. And I wanted John Stamos to play it because I wanted someone that people trusted. I said, a a, a racist doesn't look like a racist. (laughs) You know, a racist is just a person who has misguided thoughts or ideas. And so I wanted to paint the picture that it's just normal people. And if we get out of our own way, we we can become less negative less uh, racist. So I'm never trying to make an indictment on the country. I'm trying to find the individuals in the play. And I'm trying to say, you know, little acts change the world. You know, my neighbor um, in Atlanta, I live in Atlanta most of the time when I'm not working. And uh, my neighbor is a, you know, a white Republican. I am a, a, a black Democrat. That don't mean that we don't have things in common. That don't mean we can't talk about things. We only recently got to this place where we can't even discuss things or can't even disagree on things. And I think that's, I don't think people feel that way. I choose to believe that people really down deep underneath don't feel that way. I think people uh, do certain things in the last four or five years because of their fear, because of their fear of what may happen. Um, But I, uh, I believe in people. So my next door neighbor, we have what we call mailbox, mailbox talk. So, you know, I was like, hey, hey, you know, you know, our, we had a conversation that started with, um, I think he had something negative to say about um, Barack. And I was like, wait, 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 wait. What are you saying about Barack? And he said, I think Barack, I think Barack wants to hurt people like me. And I said, what do you mean? He said, well, through his health plan, I, I think he wants to harm older white folks. He doesn't, that, 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 that health plan doesn't, it, it hurts people like me. I said, that doesn't, I said, let's talk about that. I said, he came out of a white womb, you know what I'm saying? So really think it through. Like, really, do you really believe that he hates white people and his mother is white? Just think about it. Okay. And then, so we kept talking and I was like, you know, let me show you something. And I, I got a picture of me and Barack, um, on my, um, on my, in my, on my cabinet in my home. And it's when, when he and Michelle came to see a raisin in the sun on Broadway. And uh, I just found him to be just a very decent person. And I remember him saying, Kenny, let's, let's take a picture. And it was that intermission. He said, let's take a picture. 
I said, what do you mean? He said, go get your, and I have a stepdaughter. He said, get your stepdaughter, get Maria out here and I'll get Michelle and we just take a picture because I believe in family in, in, in every possible way. And that wasn't my idea to do that, but that's the kind of person. He's like, no, no. Take. So I have that picture. So I showed it to my neighbor. I was like, hey, you know, you may feel what you think about Barack Obama in a, in a public way or a political way, but I'm telling you, I've met the man and he is a really decent man. But let's not even... Let's not even go there. So let's not go what you think. Let's go what seems, you know. So anyway, what we had these little mailbox talks. And every time we would have a mailbox talk, one of us would understand something better from the other person. They could probably no, be no more than 10 minutes of at the mailbox. But I think it starts with that. Talk to someone who's different from you. Talk with someone with different ideas. And you will see how human, how close we all are. You know, we let this stupid stuff separate us. So I refuse to be... Um, I, I don't want to, I don't want to live my life like that. I want to live my life believing in people. I want to believe that through my storytelling, I could change people one person at a time, just like I can talk to my neighbor one person at a time. And, um, like I tell folks, you know, maybe the answers won't come from the political arena. Maybe they won't come from our churches, but maybe they'll come from artists. Maybe they'll come from our shared stories. Maybe someone will, will, will seek see King James and say, you know what? I haven't talked to my sister in six years. Let me call my sister. That's so stupid. Oh, I haven't talked to this guy. My friend, my best friend owed me $200 and never paid me back. So I haven't, I haven't picked up the phone and talked to him in years. Like the, that's kind of crazy. So King James reminds us like, hey, it's a responsibility to friendship too. It's a responsibility to having decent society, being decent human beings. All of us have a responsibility to that. There's no one politician that can speak for all of us. That was a great riff. That was a really good riff. Uh, and I don't want to give anything away about King James, but uh, there's a rift, uh, not a riff, uh, to say there's a rift uh, in King James that is kind of building for a while. Uh, it happens, but then there's a reconciliation. I, I, I did give a little, but the reconciliation is a beautiful thing. It's to the point that you're making that sometimes you just got to let it go. You know what I mean? Uh, and uh, wait, so before I close down this uh, avenue of our discussion, so you talked about these mailbox chats you've had with your older white neighbor who is of the Republican persuasion. Uh, so what have you learned from him? Uh, I, I, I've learned from him um, that they, uh, many of them think that CNN is the same as Fox. And I, and I disagree with that. So we can have a further comment. But if I if I think that if I learn something positive from him, I learned that they are decent human beings, regardless of of of, of what political party that they're in. I will refrain from going uh, taking a deep dive on the bizarre views of your neighbor regarding Barack Obama, most centrist, right down the middle of the road politician I have followed is from out of Chicago because we got a lot of lefties out here. Uh, Kenny, whose uh, healthcare plan was straight out of the Mitt Romney playbook. And this guy thinks it's an extremist attack on old white people. That is too bizarre. For there, it, There's got to be a satirist out there in America could come up with a play on that. Uh, and I also have my eye on the clock because uh, I told you I would keep this to 30 minutes. Kenny, you know, both of us have the gift of gab. I think it's pretty obvious uh, from the moment we met outside that theater. Uh, so we could I could keep this going forever, but I'm going to 
be respectful to you and your time. Hey, man, love to your daughters, man, and uh, and your family. So yes. Before I let you go, though, I want you to talk about that hat you're wearing. I want I want at least a minute or two riff on that hat. Uh, my listeners will love this hat. Last year, I did um, a play in the in Central Park called um, it was Shakespeare's Much Ado About Nothing, and I did a very unique production of that, and it, and PBS picked it up and ran it and they love it. They think that every high school kid should see this movie, this play, because it's so clear and it's one of Shakespeare's great plays. And when I was trying to conceive of that play, I was trying to say, okay, Shakespeare says, people coming from war. So what did he mean 500 years ago? So I, I of course, translated that to now. I said, let me put this play in 2020. And I had people, not just men, but men and women coming from war. But there was a, it was a human war. It was a war fighting for equality for everybody. So I started to play like that. But I had to decide where I was going to set the play. And I forget the city that uh, Much Ado takes place in Italy. But there's a, a city by the same name in Georgia. And the play is very much about community. It's about uh, uh, upscale, wealthy community. It's about gossip in the community. And I was like, oh, my God, that's like Atlanta. Atlanta has the, the largest black middle class in the country. Wow. And the city is the same city that was so, ooh, I can set it there. So I decided to sit it, set the play, Shakespeare's play, in Atlanta, outside of Atlanta. And I didn't want to change any of Shakespeare's words. So I needed a visual cue to let the audience know where we are. So I had this big lake house as a set and then across. And I called Stacey Abrams, who had um, at that time um, uh, uh, ran for governor. So the governor's race was over. And I said and I called her and I said, could I put a, a banner on this house that says Stacey Abrams 2020? And I wasn't saying she's running for president. She's running. I was just like, and she was a, you know, Stacey was a theater minor when she was in school. So I was like, she was like, of course, of course. And she's a wonderful person, wonderful politician, I think. And she, uh, she, she let me put that banner on the, on the set. And she also came to see the show, met the cast and all that. So we're really good friends and she's running, um, she's running for governor, uh, uh, um, um, in in Atlanta, and a governor, she should have won last. She did win last time, except their votes were suppressed. This time, she's four years. She's been working on Fairfax voter suppression. She's been doing so much work, and and it's just this first politician I've met that no matter what you think, Republican, Democrat, she's one of those people that really believes what she's saying, and she gets out there and she does the work. She has some. If there's a a, a a, a person in Valdosta, Georgia, who happens to be white, who doesn't understand her, she'll go and knock on that door and say, "Miss Mamie, let me go to church with you. you let me, let me, let me let, meet the real me." And so, um, so this time, you know, we've been trying to, you know, support her. And one of the things I, I have two Broadway shows open opening here, so I said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to wear a Stacey Abrams uh, 2022 hat 
at the beginning of every interview for this upcoming Broadway season until the election. So every interview, I start, you know, I start the interview with the hat on. <laughs> then I take it off because I want to be subtle. I don't want to, you know. And so I take, I put the hat on to start the interview and then I take it off and I have the interview. And then when I finish the interview, I put the hat back on. And it just says Abrams 2022. And um, I just, I just, I just hope she wins because she's one of the good ones. And she's one of the ones that are going to really work really hard to change lives and affect lives for everybody. She doesn't really just represent, uh, you know, just Democrats. She's one of those people that represents Democrats, Republicans, Independents. She'll do what's right and best for the people and the best of her, and the best of her, with the best of her ability. And I'm rooting for her like hell too. She's pretty remarkable. Uh, just before I go, so the if if people want to go to New York and see King James and the second play, uh, they got to go in the fall. Did I get that right? If they want to well, see the two, fall, the Broadway shows are in the fall. Top Dog, Underdog, and Ohio State Murders are Broadway plays in the next two months that open in the next two months. But they all they run for like twenty or thirty weeks, and then in the spring, starting in mid April. At Manhattan Theater Club, we start with King James. So you can go online and look up Manhattan Theater Club, and you can see King James there. And then Hamlet is going to be uh, at the public theater, Shakespeare in the Park. Got it. Wow, man, busy guy. Uh, and yet he had time. Good, man. You know, we didn't even talk about all the live musicals I did for TV, like The Wiz Live and Hairspray Live, and I did the Mahalia Jackson movie last year. And I don't know. We got to we'll talk. Just- again. Well, I'll just uh, b- uh, bug Amber, set it up. We'll come back. We could do a whole show on Hairspray. I love Hairspray to death. We could do a whole show on Mahalia Jackson. I love Mahalia Jackson to death. So we spent a lot just of time do- in Chicago. What's <laughs> The man has spent Chicago. a lot of time in Chicago. And we'll, we'll get a little more. I may bring you back to talk about Stacey Abrams' great victory, uh, which I'm really rooting for. Great. That would be an amazing statement for Georgia. Yeah, uh, if they could elect Stacey Abrams, and yeah, I agree with you. But the difference between Republicans and Democrats, Stacey Abrams lost to Brian Kemp, ladies and gentlemen, two thousand eighteen. You didn't see her crying. You didn't see her whining. You didn't see her calling on her supporters to go overtake the Capitol and change election laws to under to make it harder for white people to vote. You didn't see her do any of that. It's like Michelle Obama's. She took the high road, even though they took the low road, and. This is me talking, not Kenny Leon. So they blame me for these comments. So I'm a Stacey Abrams fan. Uh, she, you know what? She works twice as hard as the others, and she knows what she's up against. Yeah. And I'm rooting for her. So I hope she wins. She would be a great governor. All right, Kenny Leon. Thank you very much. I'll talk to you real soon. That's All right. uh, the great Kenny Leon. I'm Benny Jarofsky. Take care, everybody. Mm-hmm.